Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Folklore.org, by Andy Hertzfeld, June 1981. Apple II Mouse Card. Burl Smith's hardware design for the Macintosh was clever, elegant, and was-like in its use of minimal hardware resources to provide maximal value. The mouse interface was a prime example, using just a fraction of the 6522 Versatile Interface Adapter, or VIA, chip. The mouse was connected to the 6522 so that it generated an interrupt each time the mouse moved horizontally or vertically. A one-bit line was used for the mouse button. That was it. The rest was done in software. Meanwhile, my good friend and legendary game programmer Bill Budge came up with an incredibly fast way to draw proportionally spaced text on the Apple II graphics screen. He accomplished this by using seven pre-shifted tables and a very fast bitblit routine. It was crying out for a way to connect a mouse, providing the foundation for a complete graphical user interface on the Apple II. Although Bud Tribble wrote the initial mouse code for the Macintosh, I had to maintain it and was familiar with how it worked. I had used the 6522 the previous year to shift bits out from the Apple III to the Silentype thermal printer. I realized that all we needed was a simple connector to interface a mouse to the Apple III. I asked Dan Kotke to wire one up. Once that was finished, it only took a few hours to write cursor routines and a driver. We had the beginnings of a full Apple III graphical user interface that required no additional hardware. It was exciting enough that I started helping Bill Budge flesh out the program, being careful to work on it only after hours. Pretty soon, we had pull-down menus going, and then a simple word processor with proportionally spaced text. The only problem was that Apple III's weren't selling very well. We really needed to get it running on the Apple II somehow. I talked to Burl about the problem, which came down to making a card for the Apple II that included a 6522 VIA chip. Burl came back the next day with a brilliant two-chip design, just the VIA and a dual flip-flop to synchronize it. To move the mouse cursor without flickering, both the Macintosh and the Apple III code used a vertical blanking interrupt, drawing the cursor in the window of time when no video was being painted. But there was a problem. Unlike the Mac and Apple III, the Apple II didn't have a vertical blanking interrupt. The most brilliant part of Burl's design involved how it synchronized with the video without requiring the user to run wires from the card to the motherboard. The 6522 could generate interrupts at regular intervals, but synchronizing it with the video display was difficult as the timing of the Apple II's video generation was invisible to the processor. Burl solved this by wiring up the flip-flop on the 6522 card to the low bit of the data bus, using it to latch whatever data the video was displaying so the processor could read it. Burl had me fill the Apple II's frame buffer so the low bit was on most of the time, but switched off at the last scan line. I wrote a routine to sit in a tight loop, reading the latch. When the low bit changed, we would know the vertical blanking interval had begun. The Apple II's 1 MHz 6502 wasn't fast enough to keep up with its own frame buffer. A new byte of video data flew by on every processor cycle, about every microsecond, but it took at least 10 processor cycles to iterate through a loop. This meant we ran the risk of never seeing the low bit change, 
But Burl had an idea. If the timing of the loop was relatively primed to the display frequency, it eventually had to sync up and slip into place. I wrote a 17 microsecond loop that fit the bill, and we were delighted to see it work perfectly. Bill Atkinson had declared to Steve Jobs that you couldn't pull off a decent graphical user interface on the Apple II because of the relative weakness of the 6502 microprocessor and Waz's convoluted frame buffer. Wait a minute. Andy himself kind of implied the same thing at the O'Reilly Open Source Convention of 2000. Hard to express the excitement of what the 68000 was like in 1979 compared to the 8-bit microprocessors. It had full 32-bit registers, uh, just leaps and bounds ahead of what came before it was clear to us. Uh, you could build a great graphical user interface with the 68000. You really couldn't, uh, say, with an 8086, in my opinion. Of course, if a machine is Turing complete, you can do anything, etc., etc., but here we'll have to assume decent means is comfortable to use and runs at a tolerable speed for day-to-day -day business use. Now, I can feel the Berkeley, Geos, and Geoworks enthusiasts glaring at me, and the Mouse Desk and GSOS crowd, but I digress. But after a little more work in the summer of 1981, we had a cool little graphical user interface for the Apple II. This was potentially a valuable product. We were reluctant to show it to Steve Jobs because we knew he would want to commandeer it, but he heard about it and demanded to see it. We showed it to him, and unfortunately, he loved it. But he also insisted that Apple owned all the rights to it, even though we had developed it in our spare time. Steve couldn't insist that Apple owned all of it, because Bill Budge wasn't an Apple employee at the time. But Steve could claim complete ownership of the interface card, which he said was developed with Apple resources. Burl and I were pretty upset. We did it on our own time and thought that we should be compensated. However, it's really hard to argue with Steve, especially about money. See Switcher for more on that. We ended up turning over Burl's design to the Apple II division, but they didn't think the Apple II could deal with interrupts properly, even though we had demonstrated that it could. They added more than a dozen chips to the card before it shipped. Steve made a deal with Bill Budge that eventually resulted in Mouse Paint, a Mac Paint clone for the Apple II bundled with the mouse card. Burl and I got over it quickly, but some bitterness lingered, and the whole episode whetted our appetites for eventually working on our own. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more stories or join the Very Quiet Discord server for this podcast at www.macfolkloreradio.com.